0: Just want to remind everybody about the activities Wednesday night with Iwana and Men's Bible Study, Women's Bible Study, and Youth Group. Also, please look at your bulletin, I guess. There's a, a large number of prayer requests and needs and things going on that we won't take the time this morning to go over, but take a look at the bulletin. Also, I'll give you just a brief update on the youth pastor search. We've had a couple of applicants that look promising and had a conversation with one of them and hope to continue that conversation so keep praying and uh, lifting up those involved in that search and and stay tuned for developments on that and with that I'll turn it back over all right everybody who doesn't have a baby in their lap please stand up <laughs> or if you do have a baby in your lap you can stand too. please stand with us and sing together let's worship the Lord let us declare the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. When our spirit Lord immortal Wings its flight To realms of day As my song Through ancient stages Pleases those We all are Well thank you guys for Fulfilling that special request, I know it was a little extra work and I appreciate that, but I had come across that version of the song recently and I was thinking about the subject today and it seemed especially appropriate and the tune kind of hit me particularly too as going well with those words, so I figured if anybody could do it, Amy could, so thank you. (laughs) That song was written by Fanny Crosby and she died I think in 1920 at the age of 95 after living her entire life blind. So Fanny Crosby was blinded at the age of six months because of a medical treatment to an eye infection that caused her to go blind. But she wrote this and many other hymns um, speaking about the love of Jesus and the way that he led her in her life and worshiping him in spite of her suffering and her difficult situation. So that arrangement was written by Rich Mullins, who died in 1997, I believe, at 42 years of age, having suffered a lot of emotional distress, uh, depression and rejection, feelings of rejection from his family and struggling with chemical abuse too. And so... That is what we're going to talk about today in our series, not those specific things, but we're in this series, Compelling Faith in Uncertain Times, and we're going to continue that series today, but with a little bit different take. So far, we've been looking at characters in the Bible who showed compelling faith or who did not show compelling faith in uncertain times, but today, the, the main character is going to be you. <laughs> and me. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. A few months ago we looked at the first half of Romans 8 and looked at the help of the Spirit of God in dealing with sin and today we're going to look at how a believer can live in times of suffering. So if you want to turn to Romans 8 we'll get there in just a minute. We're going to start with verse 15 but before I pray before I read this is a Joel. And he's a friend of mine. We grew up in the same church. He was probably five or six years older than I was. I didn't know him that well when we were young, but when I graduated from college, we had the same kind of job. Uh, We were both programmers for financial institutions, large financial institutions, and we worked a few blocks apart from each other and we would get together for lunch. When I was single, he would have me over, he and his wife, for supper so I wouldn't have to eat alone sometimes. And as we, we kind of were in that same similar stage, we got closer. This picture was taken December 23rd of 1995. The next morning, my mom called. This was at a, a church gym night. We were playing games together and having fun with our families. And you can see his little girl having fun with him. And the next morning, my mom called and said, Joel is dead. <laughs> he wanted to get out of programming and into tree service. So he had bought a boom truck and he was up in this boom truck and he was cutting this branch down and he had it strung up with a rope so he could let it down easy but instead the branch brought him down hard and he fell to his death you know this is a sermon this is on suffering and you're probably thinking well some point in this sermon Bob's going to say but here's all the good things that came out of that story but I honestly can't say that there were his wife maintained her faith, one of his children maintained his faith. As far as I know, that's all. And a lot of suffering, a lot of tears, a lot of division over this event. But you know, I can say with confidence, you know, you might say, well, (laughs) how can you sing a song that says Jesus does all things well? How can you believe a God that would let something like that happen? How can you say he's a God of love? if he would let something like that happen? How can you say he's an all-powerful God if he did not stop it? What if he ordained it? How can you believe in a God like that? Well, I can and I do, and that's what I want to talk about this morning because I think the word of God is very plain as to suffering and its place in our experience, And, and I think there's no better place than Romans chapter eight to take up with that. So, before we read the passage, um, let's just pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the way that it equips us for times of uncertainty, for times of suffering. Thank you for the gospel, for your work on the cross on our behalf, that you died, that you rose again, and that you're at the right hand of your Father interceding for us even this morning and I just pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, in my heart as I speak, in the hearts of all the hearers here this morning, to hear what you have to say about suffering and about our role in it and about your role in it and your purpose in it. Just open our ears as we open your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's. if you would, just turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse... We're going to start with verse 15 and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. So there's, there's quite a bit to cover here. I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to cover everything in this passage, but uh, we're going to hit some points here. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us for gro- with groanings too deep for words. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. So, with the subject of suffering, I'm not going to go through this necessarily the exact way it's presented here, but I wanted to to focus on a few things for us this morning. You know, what what is considered suffering in this chapter? Uh, What are some of the qualities of suffering? What's God's role, or what's the purpose of suffering? Sometimes we say why, you know, and appropriately so, because on the surface of things, we wonder why. It doesn't make sense right? So what is God's purpose in suffering? And what is God's role in our suffering? And what's our role in our suffering? And how, how can we live in suffering? So that's a lot, and I'm going to try to get through all that, but hopefully it, it's not like drinking from a fire hose. First of all, I want to think a little bit about what is suffering, because we can use that word and we might have a thought in our head, you know, like the story I told you at the beginning, that's clearly suffering. Somebody with terminal cancer clearly suffering, but what does this chapter talk about? In verses 20 through 22, there's a general suffering that the whole creation is subjected to and it's described as futility, which is the technical definition being devoid of truth and appropriateness or fail and lacking in vigor. So futility is when the things that we're trying to do are just not working out and it just feels like as much as we try, it doesn't work out. So futility, bondage, being tied down, constricted, not having the freedom to do what we want, and then corruption, which means things are breaking down. Our bodies, the world around us, there's decay and breakdown, and that's corruption. So those are the general terms of suffering here in verses 20 through 22. And then verse 35 We get a whole list of things listed there. I want to briefly touch on all of them because I think that it gives me a better perspective of what things I need to think about as being suffering. So the first one is tribulation. Tribulation is a kind of fancy word for trouble. And Paul, when he's writing, he uses this word in a whole variety of ways. He uses tribulation or trouble to describe the typical marital conflict between a husband and a wife. You know, not, not anything huge or major, but just the, the day-to-day struggles between people. He uses this word to talk about his concern for other people who are maybe drifting away from God and his concern that he has for them in his heart. That word is also used to describe what we've often heard called the Great Tribulation, when God is pouring out trouble on this world in judgment unlike anything that's ever been seen. So this word is kind of a catch-all. Anything that's causing you trouble falls under this word. And if you're having that today, in whatever way, you're suffering. Um, distress can refer to both physical and mental suffering. Feeling constricted in pressure and distress. Persecution refers to how others are treating us. Might be because of what we believe, might be because of the color of our skin, because of our age, because of the family we're in, because of our economic status, whatever. We may suffer persecution from other people. Famine, the scarcity of food. We kind of know what famine is. It could be local, regional, national, worldwide. A need, a shortage of food. Perhaps we could... Think of inflation, you know, supply chain shortages. Have you ever heard those words recently? Yeah, you you can't get what we want at a fast food store, restaurant because supply chain issues. Well, that's a a nature of famine. Um, Nakedness, lack of clothing, not having everything we need for our daily protection and comfort. Danger, and Paul mentions this elsewhere of coming from nature coming from criminals, coming from other nations, coming from brothers and sisters that are, are false. Um, danger, when we're in, in, in danger. And then, finally, the sword, which can refer to either war or it can refer to the punishment that's inflicted by a government. So, all of these things are considered suffering in this chapter. And, and I want us to think about all of these in our mind as we're going through this because for a couple of reasons. Number one, all of it is legitimately suffering and we need the truth of this chapter to get through it. It's not just the big things that we need God's help with. We need God's help with all of it. Secondly, a lot of these things we can tend to blame on the wrong people, if you will. So we might, we might not accept, you know, that inflation could be something that God is using in my life. And I might tend to want to rail on, you know, the lawmakers or the president or the governor or whomever I think is responsible for economic conditions because of these economic conditions rather than looking to God and saying, what do I need to learn in this? Why, why are you sending this in my lifetime and where I live? Um, as we'll, we will see later. So then the next thing I want to talk just a little bit about some of the qualities of suffering that we see in this chapter. Number one is it's mandatory. Okay? Verse 18. It says, We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's not optional. When we get saved when we're justified by the blood of Jesus. It's not two tracks that we can choose, one with no suffering and one with suffering. No, if we're going to be glorified with Christ, we're going to go on this path of suffering one way or another. So the, the cold-hearted way to say that is get used to it, right? <laughs> it's coming, if it, and I'm sure to say it's coming is not... Um, not what you need to hear because you've already experienced it, I'm sure. So we also need to guard ourselves against any gospel or teaching that says you shouldn't suffer in this life. If, if you're being told that, it doesn't agree with what we read here, okay? So don't listen to it. It's not coming from the Bible or the word of God. Um, the second thing i wanted to point out is it's a low price for glory so we get that uh there in verse 18 Um, the next couple attributes it's not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us so i brought this morning this is a 5000 sucre note from the bank of ecuador that was printed in 1987 well this is worthless in year 2000 Ecuador switched over to the US dollar for their currency so if this was in good condition it's not it's dirty it it doesn't smell that good Um, it's been through a lot of hands Um, I brought it back from Ecuador when I went down there to get some spending money it was probably worth 20 cents at the time if it was brand new it'd be worth $25 on eBay but it's basically not worth anything but if it had Let's say it had a note on there and said, present this to the central bank of Ecuador in January of 2023 and receive one ounce of gold per sucre, 5,000 ounces of gold. That that would be worth something, wouldn't it? And so this is the, the comparison that Paul makes here to the suffering that we endure in this life compared to the glory that we will experience with Christ if we are a believer it's not worthy to be compared. It's, it's just no comparison. It's also temporary. It says um, in verse 18 again, uh, the, the present sufferings, the sufferings of this present time. So yes, we have sufferings now. We're not going to have sufferings forever. So remember, sufferings is, suffering is temporary. It's also universal. The whole creation is groaning with these things. And the whole creation was subjected to these things by God. Now, I've had in my mind this thought where it says in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. I thought, well, that was Adam through his sin. But somebody pointed out in closer examination, it says it was subjected in hope. And Adam didn't subject this world to futility in hope, but God did. And if you go back to Genesis 3 and read the story about how Adam and Eve fell into sin, you can see that God is the one that brought these curses on the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. But he didn't just bring it and leave it, he brought it in hope. And so even in his talks to Satan and Eve and Adam, he talked about how someday there's going to be an offspring from Eve that's going to bruise the devil's head. And someday, every mother here has had the experience of childbirth through pain, suffering. Adam, you're going, to, you're going to still get fruit from the ground, but it's going to be toil. There's something to look forward to for those that have faith in God. And so it was subjected in hope. But it's the whole creation. Again, we're not exempt from that just because we know Jesus. But we have a path through it and a hope in it. Also, finally, it's unable, suffering is unable to disrupt the purpose and love of God. And I just want to just see that Real briefly here in verse 30, it says, Those whom God predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nobody falls out of that path. Okay? So whatever we're experiencing in terms of suffering, the purposes of God, the things that he predestined us to, which is glory, can't be interrupted by it. That's an unchanging chain that he's working in our life. And so if these, if this is what suffering is all about and we're in suffering, we all have experienced it, will experience it, what's the purpose in suffering? And I've I pulled out a few things in this passage. I want to say that, you know, just as usual, just because I have a list here, this doesn't mean it's all inclusive. And I'm sure that you... Can find as you study this passage and other passages on your own, many reasons for suffering. But here's some that come from this passage. So verse 17 informs us that suffering is preparing us for glory. And I want to read a couple of other passages too, one from 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter there is talking about the fact that our faith has value, but if it's real faith, it's going to be tested, right? Because faith is believing in things that We know about, but we can't see. And so, the trials of this life and the things that come against us in this life are testing, is that really what I believe? Do I really believe that I'm an heir of God through Jesus? That I'm a brother of Jesus, as we'll see here? If so, that will shine through my trials. And the way that I respond to suffering is going to be indicative of the genuineness of our faith. And it says it's more precious than gold. And even gold perishes. So it's preparing us for glory. And um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, there again he's saying it's... It's light, it's momentary, it's temporary. It's not as big as it seems right now. It's preparing preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. So as we go through suffering, we are helped by knowing that it's preparing us for glory. One day we're going to be glorified like Jesus was glorified if we suffer as Jesus suffered. It's also referred to here in this passage as the pains of childbirth of the sons of God. So I think that tells me that, you know, just as human mothers who give birth experience a lot of pain, and no doubt as the baby is born, there's, you know, there is a lot of constriction that goes into the process of them coming into this world and becoming an adult. And so Paul uses that as a metaphor for us going through suffering so that we come out the other side of it more like Jesus. And that is working the will of God, as we see in verse 27. That God has a will for each one of us, and these sufferings are used in bringing us to his will. And then we find out that all things work together for good for those that love God. And that's a very well-known verse, Romans 8.28. It doesn't say, and we've heard this before, it doesn't say all things are good, but it says all things work together for good. And we, we, I have no doubt that most of the good we won't see in this life. You know it, it it is encouraging when you, you see somebody go through a trial and somebody else gets a blessing or someone comes to know Jesus through that trial or through a testimony at a funeral. you know that's encouraging to see, but you know it's not necessarily going to happen in this lifetime i you know the the death of my friend i I have yet to see one good thing come out of that, a lot of bad things, but it's working for good. It is. I know it is because God is the one who's making it work. It also says this for those who love God. So I wanna I wanna just say a word this morning. If you're here and you don't love God, then all of these things that we're talking about and hope and glory, you know, and perseverance and faith, they're not for you, but they could be. <laughs> they could be. Because Jesus, as we'll see, he made the way for us to be justified with God. And and by uh, taking our place in subjection to him and in love for him, for what he's done on our behalf, we can be made right with God. We can be justified. We can be righteous with God. And then we can claim all these things in this chapter as promises to us. And so finally, verse 29 here in terms of the purpose of suffering, we see that um, we are predestined, in the middle of verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. So what does, what does that mean? We're predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. It means God wants us to look like Jesus, now, not physically like Jesus, but morally, our character like Jesus. And so Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So Jesus took a place of being subjected to suffering, and to death. He didn't have to. He was God the Son um, in glory. But he emptied himself and became a man and became obedient to God, even to death on a cross. And it wasn't easy. We said, we read, you know, he, he cried with loud cries and tears. That's Jesus. That's God the Son crying with loud tears to God who could save his life, who didn't save his life from the cross, but who did raise him ad- again from the dead in glory. And so what we can suffer can work the same things as what it worked for Jesus. It says he learned obedience in Hebrews. Do you ever think about that? God the Son learned obedience? Well, if you think about it a little bit, When you're God, you don't have to obey anybody, right? But Jesus took a place of submission to God when he came into this world. It's one of the the great, beautiful things about his character that he did for us and for God is to take that place. And he went, he was tested in the wilderness. He was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty. And he was given the opportunity, made the suggestion it was made to, well, you're God, you can create things. Why don't you just turn some of one of these stones into bread and then you won't have to be hungry anymore? What did he say? He said, no, I live by the word of God. He suffered and learned obedience through that suffering. And so when we suffer, we can learn obedience through that suffering, right? And through that, we become more like Jesus And guess what? That was God's plan for you and me before you and me even existed. This is what he predestined us to. His purpose for your life and my life is to make us morally and character-wise like Jesus. And so when these sufferings come, that's what it's for. That's the purpose. One of the purposes. So given those definitions and this purpose what we learned quite a bit here as I dug in deeper on this passage i realized that God's role in our sufferings is kind of overwhelming to me and I've summarized it here the spirit he teaches us not to fear that was one of the first verses we read we haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the spirit teaches us not to fear. And suffering is something that we naturally fear. I don't really want to sign up for it. There's things that, you know, I could sit there and think about that would make me very fearful because none of us is covered for everything. I don't care how much money you have, how how much you work out, how healthy you eat, how uh, good you are with relationships. None of us is safe from things that are fearful, but the spirit of God teaches us not to fear. He also teaches us that we're adopted children and he helps us. Jesus referred to the spirit as a helper. And we see that in verse 26 here, that that he is helping us in our weakness. And he intercedes for us with groanings. Now, I've I've heard a couple different teachers say a couple different things on these groanings, but one said the groanings are our groanings, and the Spirit joins in and intercedes with those groanings. The other said the the groanings are the Spirit's groanings. But either way, the Spirit of God is coming in on our behalf and when we groan because of our sufferings, He's there interceding to God for us according to God's will. So we might not know what God's will is in our suffering other than well, somehow this is supposed to make me more like Jesus, but I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it's okay to groan. And it's okay to pray not knowing what God's will is in this situation. Uh, Paul tells us that in everything, make your requests known to God with prayer and thanksgiving and watchfulness. So we can pray and we know that the spirit of God in our groanings, maybe our, our suffering is to the level that we don't even know how to put it into words. And all we just can do is just groan and say, God, help me. The spirit of God knows the will of God. And he intercedes with us in that way. The Father's role is talked about here, too. And as we mentioned earlier, he's the one that subjected creation to futility in hope. You know, it was a result of Adam and Eve's sin, but God is the one that brought the curse upon this creation. But he did it in hope, knowing that his Son was going to redeem us and redeem this creation. As we see um, in verse 23, we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. One day these bodies that are suffering and that are able to get sick and that, that hurt and get tired and hungry and thirsty, they're going to be raised and made and changed and glorified. A spiritual body, it's called in First Corinthians 15. First uh, Corinthians 15 would be a good chapter to read if you want to know more about the redemption of our bodies but God also searches our hearts in verse 27. You ever think about that? God that created the universe, that sustains the universe, is keeping everything in order, created these billions of people that are on this earth, is searching your heart? <laughs> He's searching my heart? That's that's kind of an overwhelming thought to me to think that God pays that individual attention to me he's searching my heart and here I think in this context he's searching it and and seeing what do I need he's not like Jesus yet what do I need to make him like Jesus because he wants his son to be the preeminent of many brothers he wants many (laughs) little brothers of Jesus if you will And so God searches our hearts. He foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us. And there's a a sermon in each of those words. Um, And it says he glorified us. So our glorification as those who love God is as good as complete. Even though, you know, we look around this morning and we get out of bed and we, we know we're not glorified, right? I mean, we've got um, maybe some aches and pains, maybe some worries, maybe some um, relationship problems, and we don't feel glorified, but God sees us and he's got us on this path to glory. It's as good as done. We're not going to fall off that path. We learned that from this passage. Um, And he has a will for us individually He's got a will for us. We see that in verse 27. And he's for us. It says, we read that in verse uh, 32. I'm going to read that again because it's very important. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, the Father, gave his only beloved son for us. If he did that, he's, he's not holding back anything good. He's, he, didn't, he didn't make that sacrifice just to, to mess around with us, to see how much he can hurt us. That's not, that's not this God. No, he gave us his only son so that he could justify us, so that he could glorify us. And that is part of the father's role in our suffering. Then we see the son. Jesus was the first in suffering, as we read. And not only did he suffer before we lived, but he suffered best, first, and best. Firstborn, firstfruits often are are more a reference to, you know, the supremacy of Christ more so than the timeline of Christ. But Christ was also before us. Timeline. He's above us in how he suffered and in his glory. But we're going to be glorified with him. So. The Son was the first in suffering. So we can follow in his pattern knowing that God the Son suffered these same things. We get that in Hebrews. It says he is not a priest that can't be touched with our feelings. No, because he suffered the same thing when he was in this world. And he was the first to be glorified. So as we talked about, he's our pattern and our example. He died. He was raised. And then we see the Son is also interceding for us. So, Paul says in Philippians, he says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What did Christ do in his death? He became obedient to the will of God and he brought many of us will bring us into glory. And so we want to be conformed or made the same as Christ in our sufferings and in our character. So I think of God searching our hearts, wanting us to be conformed to Jesus. He says, Bob is over here and Jesus is over here. What do I need to do to bring him there? And so he communicates that to the spirit, the spirit who indwells me. And he brings, you know, a worship conference, maybe. He brings COVID, maybe. He brings a loss of a relationship. He brings financial strain. And those things detach Bob from his money, from his pride, from his earthly ambitions and he moves this direction towards Jesus the will of God is being accomplished because God has this will from Bob to make him like Jesus and he knows what's needed and the spirit comes in and intercedes with Bob with Bob's groanings and says keep working your will God he doesn't know what it is he needs it We need to bring him to Jesus, and then at at God's right hand is Jesus interceding for us saying, I justified him, I died for him, I rose again, I've paid the penalty for his sin, he doesn't have to be punished for sin, but keep bringing him closer to me. The whole Godhead is individually focused on believers in this world. That brings a perspective on suffering that you can't get anywhere but the word of God. So what a, what a great purpose and what a great thing to see God's role in our suffering. And then we have a role in our suffering. And, and these are things we need to remember. We are sons. We read in verse 17. And we're heirs with Christ. God has a son who's going to inherit everything. We are his sons, too, if we have faith in the Lord Jesus. And we're going to inherit everything. So we look forward to that, and we can call God our Father, this one that's searching our hearts and has a will for us. He is bringing us to glory and the inheritance that he has for Jesus. We are younger brothers to Jesus. We read that in verse 29. I'll read it again. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we are the younger brothers, the next level down, he's the preeminent one. But what a blessed position to be as believers. And we're foreknown, we're predestined, called, justified. God has his own children on this pathway to glory and we can rest in that. We can. God's goodness is leading us toward that and God's power and sovereignty is leading us to that. So as we go through whatever happens to us in this life, we can cling to that. So how, how might we live with suffering? And I thought I would have three or four uh, things here, but I got carried away and I didn't get them all. So I'm just going to going to put these up here. Leave fear behind. When we face suffering, don't be afraid of that suffering. You've got the whole Godhead to go through it with you. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Groan inwardly. You know, sometimes we think we just need to keep a stiff upper lip. We shouldn't let this bother me. We can groan. We can groan. The Spirit of God will take that. Um, And then down below, I said, pray freely. Even if we don't know exactly what what God's will is, we can pray freely and express our desires because the Spirit of God is taking that prayer, presenting it to God according to God's will. Wait eagerly. We have this hope, the redemption of our bodies. We're going to be raised with changed bodies, glorified bodies, it's called a spiritual body, we're going to be like Christ. It's going to appear to the whole world what Christ is like and that we're going to be like him too. So wait eagerly for that. Look forward to it. It's something that we need to remind ourselves of daily. Hope patiently. We read hope is not something that's already happened. You don't hope for something that's already happened. We have a bright future to look forward to. What, what's going on around us right now is not the end of our story. We have a guaranteed bright future that is worth hoping for. So do so in patience. Remember, God is with us. And God is all in. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit very individually focused on each and every one of us to bring us through this suffering, to bring this gold that's been purified by fire You know, gold, to get the impurities out, you subject it to very high heat, it melts the impurities, go to the surface, it gets skimmed off, and you get more and more pure the more and more fire it goes through. And so Peter uses that analogy for our lives and the suffering that we experience. It's to make us more and more pure. And I, I want to add here, too, this accept deliverance. And you can, you can look up those passages if you want to, but I'll, I'll just kind of refer to them a little bit. You know, we don't fear suffering, but the whole of the scriptures don't tell us to go chasing after suffering and looking for suffering. <laughs> Paul said he prayed for three times for deliverance from some kind of ailment that he had in his body. He prayed until God gave him a very clear answer, no, you're gonna have to live with this, but my grace is gonna be sufficient for you. But Paul prayed for deliverance from that, that's okay. (laughs) Um, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you've got got a lot of sickness, you got stomach problems and wine, a little bit of wine will help you with that, take it. So basically, take your medicine. You know, if, if you have um, heartburn, you can take an antacid. If you have a headache, you can take uh, ibuprofen. You don't have to uh, say, no, God's given me this suffering, I'm going to grit it out. <laughs> There's medicine. Uh, Paul said to slaves, if you can get your freedom, take it. So slavery is a form of suffering. But Paul said, if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. Go for it. He said to the Corinthians, you, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will provide a way of escape in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. So God, God doesn't tell us that just because I'm using this suffering, you have to go uh, find suffering you have to stay in suffering when you can get out of it. No, he, he has opened a way for us to be delivered from these things, sometimes, sometimes not, like in Paul's case. But I don't I I wanted to add that, even though I don't see it directly in this passage, because I don't want to convey the thought to you that you know if, if you seek medical help or you know, if, if you seek relational help or you seek financial help, that you're not submitting to God. But we don't need to be afraid of suffering. So I thought a little bit about this too in this family at Creekside and it's very easy to, for me to think of examples of those who are doing this well and I, I didn't ask anybody so I'm not going to name any names <laughs> but I'll, I'll just give you some examples of I've seen this even just recently. Um, There was a family that doesn't have a lot financially, but they saw another family that had a, a, a significant need come up, and they gave them money to help support with that. In their suffering, they showed the generosity of Christ to another family. That is suffering well. Um, a young widow who prayed for her husband's survival. He didn't survive. Years later, she prayed for a husband. She hasn't gotten a husband. But she said, for everybody to see, God loves me too. God loves me too. And he does. He does. That's suffering well. Well. A sister facing a recurrence of cancer told me that in the MRI machine, she sings, the God of angel armories is always by my side. That's suffering well. That's suffering well. That's a good example. A brother who recently lost his wife stood up and told us that God is good through his tears. Sister ostracized by family members, seeking them in love and prayer. A couple whose wife is terminally diagnosed stood up and repeated the prayer of Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. That's suffering well. A couple facing difficulties in their marriage said, we want to work on this and we want to get through it for the glory of God. That's suffering well. Those suffering with daily pain and yet coming out to church to worship God with other believers. That's suffering well. So I don't know everybody's situations but I know many of you are leaving a good example for me of suffering well and I appreciate that and I'm sure that every one of you has a story of suffering that you could tell. I want to just close with this last Couple of verses here and just read it. Paul says at the end, after talking about all of these different kinds of trouble that come, he says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are loved. I'm loved. Despite what we might see when we start looking around or inside, we are loved. Nothing, nothing, nothing that happens to us can change that. Hold fast to the love of God. And uh, the band is going to come back up and then in a few minutes we will have a time of communion here. You can come up if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and, and take the bread which speaks to us of that body that, God, that Jesus took so that he could suffer for us and that blood that he shed that justified us before God and in which we have standing. So as you reflect on the work of Jesus for us and the love of God to give his son you can come up Or go to the table in the back and partake of the bread in remembrance of the body of Jesus and the juice in remembrance of the blood of Jesus and remember him in his death for us. And let's just give thanks for that right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that through you is displayed the great love of God, that you were willing to empty yourself to take a body that was prepared for you by your Father, to show your obedience, your voluntary obedience, all the way to death. And not just any death, but death on the cross being made sin for us, that you might redeem us to God. Thank you that as we live in this world, we can anticipate that our full Redemption is not complete. We're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And that we have that hope to look forward to. And it's as sure as the fact that you are seated in heaven, Lord Jesus, that you have raised, been raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places. And we would join in all, with all, in bowing our knees to you, Lord Jesus. So as we take this bread and this juice, we give you thanks. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood.